This podcast is not intended for younger audiences. If you are younger than 18 years old, please turn this off. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Content warning, there will be a discussion on abuse in the second half of this episode. This is your final warning. And now, on to our double feature. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, a brand new podcast in which, well, the title just explains it. We're two dudes, we watch two movies. I need to come up with a better uh, intro, I think. This is only episode two, man, so I I think once we get to episode 749, we'll have something that'll work out. I'm glad you're so upbeat that you think we'll get to 759 episodes. (laughs) There's certainly plenty of movies out there, man. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Hello, my name is Richard. This is my co-host, uh, good old Joe Denny Dan, Joey over here. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And welcome. Welcome. How are you, Joey, by the way? You know, I last couple days been getting some Blu-rays in from Criterion and Shout Factory. You were telling me about that. You, yeah, you got you got some good ones, it looks like. Yeah, so I, from Criterion, I picked up the cameraman with Buster Keaton. I watched that last night. Beautiful 4K restoration. If you're a Buster Keaton fan, definitely got to pick that disc up. I've always liked Michael Keaton, but you know that's just that's just me. Yeah, no, yeah, I know you would say that. But <laughs> and actually, I, I also picked up Showboat, which is directed by uh, one of our double feature movie directors today. We'll let you oh, know which one. Is this a segue. Well. I should have planned that segue out a little better, but that's my fault. And I also got The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. I haven't seen it since the DVD days, and I'm very excited to see in the new Blu-ray. And I also picked up, uh, not pitched up, picked up Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm very excited. One, right? Yeah, I'm very excited to see that one. And some of my Shout Factory titles came in. I picked up the Vincent Price Collection Volume 3 before that went completely out of print. So now I have volumes two and three, and then they're re they're re-releasing volume one later this year with some modifications. Beautiful. And I also got uh, the Universal Horror Collection volume four because I had a couple titles I had heard about for so many years, and I had never watched some of them. So I'm very much looking forward to watching those. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing a little bit better. I'm I have a much better. Uh microphone set up this time i'm last time fun fact last time when i was recording my audio was just through a uh headset on my iphone a more proper setup so hopefully i sound real crispy you sound a lot better we might have to just take have to take a picture of you and post it on social media what you look like just, just like doing this <laughs> just like you can't I'm, I'm obviously imagining people are looking at me i'm just doing the thumbs up just uh. i always was told i had a voice for podcasts so or a face for podcasts really you are truly the face of two dudes one double feature what is our uh what is our first movie this week you said uh it's from the director of, showboat what was it from showboat? the director of showboat and a few other classics people are very familiar with, including Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein, is none other than James Whale. My, fi- yes, my favorite that is his movie, favorite. James and Whale. He, he directed my favorite movie, Bride of Frankenstein. And what film are we talking about today? We are talking about The Invisible Man. 
directed by James Whale, starring Claude Rains from 1933. It is uh, one of the many classic movies in the Universal monster series of films. That it is. It came out, you said 1933, so Dracula and Frankenstein were 31, and then The Mummy was 1932 with Boris Karloff. And now we have The Invisible Man, 1933, based off the H.G. Wells book. Have you read the the book by H.G. Wells? I have not. The only, I mean, the only book I was ever really familiar with with H.G. Wells was obviously, like, War sure. of Worlds. They've had, like, eight billion movies made of that. Steven Spielberg made a movie with Tom Cruise, which I saw that in theaters. Same. Uh, with my cousin, I believe. Which, it's all right. It's, it's it's an entertaining movie. It's not my favorite. I've been very curious to revisit that one at some point, especially now that the classic War of the Worlds is getting a Blu-ray release later this year. With this one, with The Invisible Man, when's the first time you saw this? Uh, this is back Invisible 2009, Man. and, you know, my, I grew up so, so long ago. One. I grew up watching my dad's Universal <laughs> Monsters tapes and... I, for my birthday, I had requested some of the Legacy Collection ones, which were kind of like the ones that were made during when Van Helsing was still a new movie. So they had some bonus features regarding Van Helsing. And I, there was a lot of sets. They had, of course, Frankenstein. I, I, I remember the night I got that, and I watched all five of the movies that were on that box set in one night. I watched, there's the Dracula set, the, um, the Wolfman set, which... Only two of the movies actually had the Lon Chaney Wolfman in that set, but that's another story. And you had The Mummy, and there was also The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which included those three. And then The Invisible Man. Are you talking about the sets that had, like, the, the green case? Yes. Well, that came out with Van Helsing that had, like, the, like, the what's it, the lithograph? Yeah, so, like, it looked it like it? that with those sets, you know, it looked like there was, like, their face. There would be, like, a location that, that they would be associated with. So, like, for Dracula, it would be his castle, Frankenstein, you know, the, the tower, the windmill, or whatever. And with The Invisible Man, I forgot what it was. It's in my closet. With The Invisible Man, I was very curious about it because my dad never owned The Invisible Man. There was a couple of them he never owned, and The Invisible Man was one of them. And I was also interested because Claude Rains is the leading guy in The Invisible Man, who, of course, so many famous movies. He's been in Casablanca, uh, The Wolfman, and the, the Universal Fan of the Opera remake, and a bunch of other movies, too. I'm just mainly noting the universal stuff i just i love his name i just want to point i the name claude rains just sounds like a movie yeah. star or like a villain like a movie star villain or like no that's about it honestly <laughs> he just he i don't know I, I just remember hearing that name and going that's that's like a that's a really cool name you don't hear like you don't you don't really hear a lot of names like that amongst like modern actors really I don't know. I don't know why that fascinates me. It just uh... no. It is. An, it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting name with the Invisible Man. So it is also interesting to me that too that he is sort of this character is put into the Universal uh, Monsters canon because there's definitely some horror things that happen in here and all that. But it feels more. I mean, some of the other stories you could argue are science fiction as well, like Frankenstein. But it just felt. Almost, like, a little different from the other monsters. Yeah, it, it doesn't have that, like, gothic horror vibe that you get from Dracula or Frankenstein or, you know, any of those characters, really. I mean, it's it's kind of like, um, if you look at, like, modern slasher movies, if you look at, like, you know, you have Michael Myers, you have Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, you know, these are all kind of, like, bulky, like, 
like just huge scary imposing guys that don't talk much and wear masks but then you look over there and you got like freddy krueger who you know cracks cracks wise he invades your dreams he's a little bit more supernatural than some of the other characters like there's always in, in any kind of big like string of horror films that are kind of similar i always see there's like one kind of a standout and the invisible man's definitely one of those he's got some like kind of stylistic maybe a little bit of a gothic feel to him especially with the bandages oh, yeah. around his face like he's a he's like the cool version of the mummy <laughs> but he's not really the mummy <laughs> <laughs> he's not he's yeah. not quite the mummy he's the mummy with oh shades. man but it's also interesting too because i think about <laughs> you know this might be a controversial opinion but like i think about dracula and frankenstein two of which that oh, I, wow. are movies that i absolutely love and i also think about the mummy the first mummy anyway and the invisible man and i almost i like those movies i think better than dracula or the first dracula or frankenstein movies in a lot of ways with the invisible man you know, James Well directed that movie, as well as Frankenstein and later The Bride of Frankenstein. And James Whale always sort of has like a like a quirky sensibility. It's weird to say quirky with like a thirties movie. It, it's accurate though, because it's it's I think it's actually like really funny at times. I don't know if that was intentional. Because like the whole the whole thing is that the invisible man or Griffin, the character's name is, um, he talks about these like awful things and he talks about all these like intense like crazy things that he could do because he's invisible and yet the most he does is like he like pulls a guy and like he like throws a guy's hat in the water like he just he's and granted you know he's limited by the technology of the time i.e the fish uh the fishing lines that they can get to like pull some of that stuff off but it's just it's 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 funny to like see them like torment people and like yeah i mean that's definitely the vibe i was getting and what i was trying to go for is i feel like frankenstein was definitely a movie that was okay james whale had to do it you know it's a big big project and great frankenstein's a great movie but i feel like what i like about invisible man then later bride of frankenstein is that i feel like those two movies are very much james whale films oh without a doubt you you look at like those ones compared to the rest of the universal monster movies even with the invisible man they they stand out so much and i mean partially because of that science fictiony vibe and also even especially with bride of frankenstein Invis- and invisible man there's more of a a comedic sense to it you know there's definitely more funny where i would definitely argue bride of frankenstein's more dramatic than the invisible man was i think the invisible man kind of takes comedic a little bit like stronger like it goes a little bit more with it no i could definitely uh definitely agree with with that but uh, what i'm i guess what i'm trying to say is like when you look at when you look at bride of frankenstein and you compare it to like frankenstein or even just it definitely has a different air about it um okay one of the incredible things about this movie is 1933 you have the visual effects done by John Fulton, good old, uh, who, Fulton. if I'm not mistaken, did the Academy Award-winning effects for the Cecil B. DeMille film *The Ten Commandments* in the 1950s. When you look at something like *The Invisible Man*, with, with what they were able to do with the technology at that time, it's still pretty impressive. I look at that movie and I immediately think of, like, say, our reactions to a movie like *Avatar* or a movie like any of the like the Marvel movies you know just the the sheer amount of special effects and everything that they do with movies these days like you just go to these big spectacle movies and you're like what 
But then, you know, you think back to, like, The Invisible Man, 1933, and there's so many people going to see that movie at that time, and they're just like, how how is the cigarette this, just floating there? Or how is, how is he lighting a match? What is happening? Like, it's, and it's, and like you said, yeah, it still kind of holds up, because, like, then they're like, how did they do that? Because, you know, it's just, they're impressed. Whereas now we're like, how did they do that? with the technology that they had a little bit, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're still like, it's, it's incredibly impressive. I definitely agree with that. And they sort of, you could look at this up too, but they did a lot of like exposure with the film and like, sort like, you know, they had to film this like different times and, and things like that, just to try to get the, the effect just right. And you could still notice some outlines in the shots and all that. So it's one of those cases where, yeah, in some way, there's a few. Yeah, which I'm there. not gonna gripe, really gripe about, but it's one of those cases where I'm like, in some ways, I want to watch the VHS version of it because I imagine just watching it on VHS, it has a different experience to it. You, you know, like the wiring is almost is almost covered up. The curtain is still like conceals right. it a bit. You know, <laughs> it helps Matt. That's that's kind of the one issue with with Blu-rays. As much as I love Blu-rays and like high definition quality you know of all, of all that stuff for older movies it it could hinder it a little bit just because you can like notice all the different things that they were trying to hide because they're like oh you know it's like if you watch like a mo- like an older movie from like even like the 90s or the 2000s and because of the blu-ray upgrade you can see the string yeah 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 especially when i watch something like yeah. was it, thief of baghdad where you can see sometimes like the bald caps of, of folks like in their wig oh, wig lines oh man bald caps <laughs> Oh my god. I don't okay, so I know in the last episode I ranted a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to go on a rant this time. <laughs> but I have issues with bald caps. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk about it in a later episode just for the sake of avoiding a rant. <laughs> Can I ask is this with Gotham? <laughs> it is. Oh my yes. So during quarantine, you you got me started now. So <laughs> during quarantine, I finally watched Gotham. And B.D. Wong plays Hugo Strange, and he wears a bald cap, and it looks awful. That's all I'm saying. Moving on. <laughs> all right, so moving on, can we, can we also talk about how much how short movies were back in the day when they weren't an epic? Oh my god, this this movie moves moves like two seconds. There's literally mo- like I feel like this movie like n- knew that it could only be like seventy some minutes long, so the entire time. They're, like, having to rush things, and, like, there's so many, like, quick edits, like, okay, we need to get to this, go! We need to get to this, go! It almost feels like you're just, like, on a, like, a speeding train or No, something. definitely, I, I agree with, with that. It's, like, we were, I remember we were, like, a half hour into the movie, and it's just, like, we were literally, like, already halfway through the movie. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost over. It's, <laughs> we were just half an hour in, it's, like... That's why I really like binging these movies, because it's just so easy. Like, I can, usually when I watch Frankenstein, right after I just watch Bride of Frankenstein or the Invisible Man movies, I'll just watch a couple of those at a time. If I watch three of them, it's like, oh, I I only sunk in like three hours. That's okay. That's basically the runtime of Titanic, which, fun fact, when we were watching this movie, I had no idea that um, the old lady from Titanic was the the female lead in this Gloria movie. Stewart. I, had I mean, no clue. it's really crazy to think that we have an this is an actor she passed away a a, num, a few years ago, but to think that she her her acting career you you're working with with a titan like um like Claude Rains, right? 
And then, like, years yeah. later, you get to work in a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's just that's so strange. She was the biggest movie of all time for, like, a while until James Cameron topped himself and then Marvel topped them. It's insane. Like I And, and the funny thing was, when we were watching it, I made a Titanic reference because we were talking about the, the runtime. And I had no clue that it was, like... Even more relevant a reference than I thought. Yeah, it was insane, and I was that's not was, that's not Kate Winslet. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> How could she have been in the Invisible Man? Though that would have been funny if she was like in in like the one of the other like the later one that they made, just like just as a reference, like you know, <laughs> here's Rose, and then here's Rose again. With the Invisible Man, we also we have a, a number of other people. One of which is uh, uh, Henry Travers, I think his name is. Who, if you you know, if you watch holiday movies every year, you recognize him as Clarence, uh, the angel trying to get his wings in "It's a Wonderful Life." Did you get your wings there? I don't know what that was. I just want to throw that out there. I'm keeping it in the recording. I'm, I'm editing this thing, so you're, you're that's staying, man. Oops. So, but let's talk about Claude Rains, though. Claude Rains. Oh, I know we talked about his God. name. Let's talk about his talent. I, as much as I do love like Dracula. And you know, pretty much every character Boris Karloff played in the Universal Monsters. Like we were talking about, obviously, the Invisible Man sticks out. And I think another good reason of that is, without a doubt, Claude Rains. He's so good in the movie. He's just so, like, manic. But also, like, he's just he's just a great movie villain. And his laugh. Oh, my God. Like, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but Mark Hamill based his Joker performance on Claude Rains. The face that you made... And your reaction when you when, when I told you that Gloria Stewart was in Invisible Man and Titanic, that is my reaction now to this. I never did, knew that. No, that yeah, is incredible. Yeah. I think he mentioned that when he was promoting Chucky, uh, his, the Child's Play movie he did, uh, he mentioned that Claude Rains was uh, an inspiration for his Joker, which when you watch it makes perfect sense, especially with his cackle. That <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it sounds a lot better than when I do it. You can It just shows how inspirational of a performance that was for other actors down the line. And like I said, this wasn't the only Universal Monster performance that he did. He would go on to play Lon Chaney Jr.'s dad in The Wolfman, and of course play the Phantom of the Opera in the 1943 version. But I think out of those films, I think his best performance is definitely here in The Invisible Man. I mean, just his voice is such a, you know, when he gets angry, we talk about, like, the sillier moments, but when he gets really angry, oh, and then eventually he kills, like, the one of, dude. It's kind of terrifying, actually. Like, it's like, it's oh my god. It's chilling at parts. And, <laughs> and it also is, like, a testament to actors that play characters where they primarily don't show their face. Most, I mean, most actors, you know, obviously first, when you have an actor who's literally head-to-toe in, like, makeup or costume or whatever... And it just lets them like really get into the character and be more free. And also, it it makes you believe the performance a lot more because you're not associating them with who they really are. So I I don't know. I've always liked act. I've always liked like some of those actors that just really go for it. And like even if it means they're not going to show their face, they don't care. Yeah, we we don't see his face till the very end of the movie once his character alert. you know <laughs> dies. Spoiler for a nineteen thirty. Spoiler movie. alert for a <laughs> for a movie that's almost like ninety years old. <laughs> oh man. So, um, Joey. Yeah. Would you? You asked me this last time. I was going to ask you this this time. Would you recommend? The Invisible Man for a modern audience. It depends. So I would not recommend this as a traditional horror film 
Because I feel like with the Universal Monster films, it's not so much about a scare factor, it's more about atmosphere and creepiness. And in comparison to the to the other ones, I think one thing that Dracula and Frankenstein does better because they are earlier sound films is they are much oh, creepier oh, yeah, in yeah. certain instances. Just seeing shots of Bela Lugosi's eyes lit up or um, Boris Karloff just as the monster staring with all, like a right, dead look yeah. on his face. That when when I watch that at like a one o'clock in the morning or something, I get ch- I get goosebumps and it's genuinely creepy. That's why I watch the Universal monsters because well, I'm just a scaredy Big cat whip. in general. So like I can handle creepy things, <laughs> I I, 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 I yeah big wimp, I'm a big scaredy cat. But with the Invisible Man, it's like you said we it's kind of more of it, it plays more like a yeah. comedy in certain instances, or like you know a horror comedy in, in uh, almost. But I would definitely recommend it as far as like a curiosity just just to, to showcase the performance of Claude Rains. Like it's so instrumental to have that performance and those effects succeed at the right. level that they do in that movie. So while it's, I wouldn't recommend it to somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm really into movies like It or Get Out or things like that. But I think there's value to seeing the visual effects, seeing the Claude Rains performance and just how a great range that he has in in that performance alone. I would would agree with that. I think obviously if you can get people into the MOOCs, I know it is an older movie and I know like I've had conversations with a lot of people, especially... I don't know what I was going to say, but you know, a lot of people are like, eh, it's an older movie. I don't know if I'd watch it, but if you can, if you can get people like more into the mood of checking it out and like, I think, I think I would, I'd still recommend it. I think regardless, cause I like it enough. I'd be like, listen, it's an old movie, but it's worth checking out. Plus the time commitment. It's only an hour. It's like an hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> it's so. literally like an episode of game of Thrones and it's much better than any of season eight. that that is that is our guarantee you'll enjoy this way more than game of thrones season eight (laughs) oh man (laughs) not really but (laughs) oh my god but anyway we're gonna take a quick quick intermission when we come back we're going to be talking about our second film in our double feature stay tuned Um, welcome back, everybody, to Two Dudes One Double Feature. Unfortunately, right now we're not a little bit we're not a, we're not as upbeat just because we heard some. Unfortunately, well, just we just heard something really bad news. Uh, director Joel Schumacher, um, at the age of eighty, uh, lost his battle with cancer, and unfortunately. I keep saying unfortunately, it sucks. It's it's sad news. The guy the guy's obviously directed so many movies. He's got such a career behind him. Um of course, two of his most famous movies were Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. 
and I know people have their opinions on those movies. Um, I, I really like Batman Forever. I have nostalgia for it. You know, it's 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 a part of me. It's a very fun movie. And regardless if you like Batman and Robin, it was his movie. It was Joel's movie for the most part. And, you know, he obviously did, like, The Lost Boys, which is a classic. He did uh, St. Elmo's Fire, which was with the Brat Pack uh, during those days. Um it's in, it's incredibly unfortunate to lose him, and he's all and anytime you know anyone ever talked about him, you know it was nothing but positivity. You know any interview I see with him or any interview I see of people talking about him, you know it's it's nothing of but with a, it's nothing but positivity. So, um, no, absolutely great, absolutely great loss with uh with that one. Very well said. Literally, as we were finishing finishing part one. You had told me the news, so we wanted to include that uh, and highlight uh, highlight Joel Schumacher for whatever it's worth. Uh, may he rest in peace. So we're back to talk about our next film. We're back. Let's try to let's try to shake it up, shake it up, get a little bit, whew, get a little bit better. Um, miss you, Joel. Miss you. So I'm going to let you lead this conversation because. You are a huge, I mean, I think we're both fans of the movie, but you're a huge fan of the 2020 version of The Invisible Man. I, as you know, there's been so many remakes over the past few years of Universal Monster movies, um, most infamously being the uh, 2017 uh, lodging of the Dark Universe. What? <laughs> like, there's been so many different remakes and so many... Even some like major directors, like like Joe Johnston, tried to tackle some remakes, and it just like some some are fun. Like I do like the Brendan Fraser Mummy movie, and we're we're both even like we both have uh, Van Helsing as a guilty pleasure. I'm sure <laughs> Van Helsing is a is a personal personal favorite of mine. For whatever thing like with any of these Universal reboots, they're always just just missing something and it always felt like i think the the brendan fraser mummy movies i i didn't even think about that when i was we were setting up this episode that they they were the closest thing to like getting that right in a lot of ways i feel like as far as like a successful movie while something that could be enjoyed by monster fans as well it's funny too because obviously when they were doing the tom cruise one their whole like goal was to do more action oriented series of movies whereas and and they failed miserably as much as I think Tom Cruise, you know, has made a name for himself in action, like those movies, just just that movie, pardon me, because there's no other movies, <laughs> that one just did not hit the mark. But you go back to the Brendan Fraser one, they literally said, why don't we just do Indiana Jones, but with the mummy? And it works. It works really well. So I feel like a lot of people have tried to, maybe not necessarily mimic that, but definitely try to do more... I, th- I think people tried more and more to do different like adaptations, but if I'm being completely honest, and you might agree with this, the 2020 Invisible Man is not only the best Universal Monster movie remake, but it's probably one of the best movies I've seen this year. I know that's not. I know it doesn't say much given how many movies that have come out this year, but it's it's fantastic. It's really 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 good. And you you'd be correct because I I do think this is definitely one of the better movies i've seen this year and i was not going to see this in theaters because as stated in the previous part i'm a wimp whenever i try to see a horror movie in theaters 
it's just it's just anxiety because they have the the sound cranked up to the highest possible level when you watch a horror movie in a theater it can be sometimes be an obnoxious experience when you're with other people at the theater so i knew i was going to see it but i wasn't going to see it in theaters and we we watched it what, a couple weeks back that was pro- like we've seen a lot of movies together that was probably one of the most memorable viewing experiences of any movie that i've seen with you just because like I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of movies together, and typically, they're movies that I've never seen that you're showing me. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we're watching, you know, all these older movies that I'd never seen before, and I don't think we've ever really watched, like, a modern horror movie together either. No, that has never happened. Yeah, I never really got the full effect of your wimpiness until we watched The Invisible Man. And so, like, anytime Elizabeth Moss is just going around the house trying to find him... And you got you just clut you just like clutched onto a pillow like you're just like you're holding on for dear life. Oh yeah! And I was like, "This is amazing! This is so good! <laughs> this is so fun!" I think what what works about it well is th- there's this conversation about real realism in movies sometimes, mm-hmm. and I just think the situation itself, despite the fact that it's absolutely crazy that you have like an invisible person. It plays out somewhat very realistically, I feel like, in a lot of ways. I'd agree with that, yeah. And I think that's that's one of the one of the bi- one of the big things with this movie is and why Invisible Man was such a great property to reboot is because yeah, we were talking about the special effects and how complicated it was back then to do it, but how much did this movie cost to make the Invisible Man? Seven million dollars. That's not counting marketing either. That's not counting marketing either. So seven million dollars when like Avengers Endgame's catering budget was probably seventy million dollars. <laughs> well, I mean they 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 had to get you know that Shake Shack whenever they filmed in New York, or they had to get that In and Out whenever they filmed in California. You know, Chris Evans just just got to get his uh, Shake Shack. A disclaimer: I have no idea if you like Shake Shack. <laughs> so wait, if Chris Evans ever listens to this, can you answer that question for us? We're just curious if you like Shake Shack. Yeah, please or. What's your prefer- what's your preference? <laughs> but no, seven million dollars. Part of it, obviously, was they didn't have to do much effect wise. They just had to make you believe that there was an invisible man. Also, they didn't have a. They technically didn't have a leading man. They had obviously an actor playing the invisible man. Whenever you know we got to meet him, as far as the movie's concerned, Elizabeth Moss was acting with nothing. That that definitely will save you money if. You know, for the most part, you don't need, like, because, like, the big difference being in the in the original movie, the Invisible Man, you know, he's talking, he's walking around, you have the iconic look with the glasses and the, and the wrap on, and the wrap around his face, whereas in this movie, he, you, you literally just do not see him. Yeah. And it adds to the creeping factor, because the whole time, you know, you're having a character lurking around a hallway or going into the kitchen of this house, and... You know, she knows someone's there, but she doesn't know if she can see him. Some of the best parts, especially watching it with you, just because, just again, the wimpiness was like any time like Elizabeth Moss is just like walking around. There's, I think there's a oneer in the movie where she just goes from her room all the way to the kitchen, and there's no sound. It's barely lit, and it just scares the heck out of you. Yeah, You're just like, where is he? <laughs> where is he? And I, I remember, like, there was a point you, you were getting so, like, you hated the guy so much that you're like, okay, we're going to kill him this way. <laughs> we're going to kill him that way. <laughs> he, has to, he has to go out in such a brutal manner 
<laughs> that it, this movie would no longer be able to be rated R. <laughs> it would have to be something bigger. <laughs> like, oh, this movie can't make money. It's NC-17 now. Not for anything, like, sexual. It's just it's just really violent because this guy had to die. <laughs> though, though but that's, that's a big part of it, though, with, with this character is... He's a very like abusive partner. He's the invisible he's man a, in this. He has no sense of morality or he's a he is genuinely an evil guy. Yes. So the whole the whole kind of plot of the movie um, for this for this modern version, which by the way, I think modern is a, a very apt word to describe this movie. Elizabeth Moss' character was unfortunately in an abusive relationship. Like, she was kind of stuck. And so she finally gets out, and then she hears that uh, her boyfriend, who is also Griffin in this movie, Adrian Griffin, has uh, committed suicide because, you know, for whatever reason or another. She's she's already distrusting of this, so she's already like, he's not dead. And then, she, and then, like, a lot of good things start happening to her. Like, she gets his fortune because he left it to her. And so all these good things are starting to happen, but now she's starting, and then she starts seeing things, and things start happening. It almost becomes like a like a boy cries wolf kind of scenario. And so like the whole the whole scenario with that with the with the relationship abuse thing, which is very relevant, like with the Me Too movement and everything, it just it it hits home, and it just it well it doesn't hit home with me, uh, but it, but it hits home for a lot of people, I'm sure. And then uh, it also just makes him that much more of an awful person. Especially, like, the more he goes... Like, you realize just how evil this guy is the more the movie plays out. It, it really... Like, you said it perfectly. It is the the Me Too Invisible Man, which, if you're somebody who's never seen it or somebody who makes fun of the Me Too movement, I imagine that that would sound very silly. But it's... it. This movie's anything but silly. Like, the last movie... Pretty darn silly. And I mean that in the best yeah, possible way. Yeah, it's so different. This movie... It's so different. This... This movie is such a genuinely scary movie. Just be- because, like I said, it plays out, the scenario plays out fairly realistically. And one of my other things that I like, too, is that Elizabeth Moss isn't a complete idiot. Like, in other, in other horror movies no, when you have characters. She's, she's genuinely, like, intelligent. She's also just incredibly strong in the movie as well. And it's not like, and it's not like typical, like, you know, get away from her, you bitch. Like, kind of, like, from Alien, you know. Aliens. Pardon me. Oh, gosh. We almost lost viewers there because <laughs> I messed up the titles. So sorry. <laughs> Oy vey. <laughs> but no, she, like, she, she has a strength to her character, and, and, and she's incredibly smart. And so she's a survivor, essentially. And it's a survivor's story. The last movie, we were talking about how integral it was to get that Claude Rains performance so right. Oh, yeah. I would say that is equally true of the victim Elizabeth Moss plays in this movie. She is outstanding. She's been great in pretty much everything I've seen her in, but this this is probably the best performance I've seen her do. She's everything you believe her. Every I mean, the characters in the movie might not because they're stupid, but <laughs> there's totally an invisible guy there. I swear. But you feel you feel everything. Like she she's she's such a she's like you said she's absolutely outstanding in the movie. It's 
it's it's insane and she carries the whole thing too because like i said she doesn't have like a like a monster to fight against she doesn't have like she's literally by herself the whole time and so like i said it just makes it genuinely terrifying and there are scenes where it just like it seems like oh it's just like a pleasant thing and then snap something goes completely wrong and she's made it out to be like crazy exactly and i i think a lot of that as well has to go to lee winnell who's the director here's for the here's this guy who for the longest time was just like the go-to co-writer for james wan when he did like the saw movies or insidious or i think maybe even the conjuring movies and i know he also acted it he was in the first saw movie he was the who was he he was in uh he was in i think all the conjuring movies and all the insidious movies oh no he was in the insidious movies i don't think he was in the. he might have been in the conjuring movies i don't remember i know he does have a brief cameo in aquaman though fun fact and i know he directed the fourth insidious movie but other than that like the only other movie he directed prior to this was upgrade which is incredible it's like like who knew that this guy who typically it's kind of like henry selick in tim burton you know like henry selick tried to make a career for himself but most people just associate him as like the tim burton guy like you know like with nightmare before christmas what was the other one or like james and the giant peach but then he does monkey bone and people are like eh, no thank you but then he does Coraline and and kicks butt it's always cool when you see these people that are typically in the shadow of like more famous directors is i love james wan don't get me wrong but to see lee Wanell do do this like such amazing work from Upgrade to The Invisible Man, it's insane. And, like, his style, it's very much his own. Especially with, like, the way he shoots action scenes. I don't think anyone shoots action the way he does these days. If you, especially in Upgrade, if you watch Upgrade, one of my favorite things about both Upgrade and The Invisible Man is the way that he follows people with the camera and the action scenes. Yes, yes, it's, it's definitely... Yes. It's like the OCD's like favorite, you know what I mean? Like is it like is so synchronized with the body movements of people and it just so like precisely moves to certain points. It's and it and it works so well for the Invisible Man. Not that the movie is an action movie by any means. It has a few fight scenes, but just like uh especially the scene with the guards when uh when Elizabeth Moss is trying to escape and you know, she's like he's right there. He's right there. <laughs> and they're like huh <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> and then like you just see the camera just like following the guy as he falls on the ground and another guy shoots himself in the leg it's incredibly inventive and and i think and i credit lee winnell wholeheartedly for a lot of the great things this movie has you know what's interesting too was when i was doing re- quote-unquote research for this episode <laughs> quote-unquote research quote-unquote <laughs> you know you actually think we do work on this what no but with this episode i was watching a review i think from um from breakfast all day which is another review series i really recommend but mm-hmm. they were talking about the invisible man and how apparently in the credits i don't i, I haven't rewatched the credits to confirm that this is true but in the credits hg wells is technically not credited really and i think even if he was it just shows you because i've heard that even the original invisible man movie is somewhat different from its source material okay so going from the book to the claude rains movie and then to you know the 2020 film it just shows you how much a single property can change and the meanings that it has over time and it's right. just like you get the same basic concept like a dude's invisible hijinks ensue or like horrible things ensue in the case of the 2020 movie horrible 
horrible things. Horrible. No, that's I didn't know that. That's interesting. I, I mean, I think you might be credited on IMDb or something, but again, and again, I have to reconfirm that just to watch it again. But I think, again, like even if he, if he, even if um he was, it's just it's such a vastly, it feels like such a vastly different take than probably what they would have thought back oh, then. Without. It definitely makes me curious, though, just how... It makes me want to read the book, actually, just to see how faithful either one is to the actual book. Spoiler alert, Richard is going to start a double uh, double feature book club. All right, for today's book, we are doing The Invisible Bad by H.G. Wells. <laughs> I guess they were just trying to focus more on the Invisible Man property from Universal, and so then they so then he just went off and just did something wholly original with it. Yeah, which for sure. Obviously works incredibly well in its favor. And like like we were saying, it's it's from a guy who genuinely understands how to be terrifying. So when you watch the movie, not only are you feeling for Elizabeth Moss's character and you're on her side because of everything that she's gone through and everything that she is going through, but also just, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> oh, um... Come on! I'm sorry! My bad. You just, like I said, you feel for Elizabeth Moss's character, but also you are just absolutely terrified because... And this is this is something that I think is essential for horror, is sometimes nothing is even scarier than something. And I think that's... And, I, and unfortunately, I think that's something that is kind of gone from horror because, you know, people want monsters, people want like serial killers they want some kind of actual thing but when you do it well enough it's like you know if you have absolutely nothing there it can be even scarier just like that whole idea of someone lurking behind you and yet no one's there that's what i think the movie does perfectly this whole idea of like is is there someone right there kind of a spoiler but one of my favorite things about the movie is camera will pan like something will happen and the camera will film it and then the camera will pan over and there's nothing there and it does it so often in the movie, but it's almost framing the shot as if someone is there. And you, and you get, you're kind of weirded out, you're like, why are they doing that? But then you realize, oh my god, they're filming somebody, there's somebody. It adds to the terror, and adds to that whole effect of, is there somebody watching me? <laughs> oh, man. Um, but also, too, it's interesting, because I was thinking about this movie, and thinking about the reboots Universal has done, they've typically typically made these monster reboots like big-budget action movies or really big-budget horror movies, like in the case with the Wolfman. This movie, I think because of the inherent concept of an invisible man and just the way they played it out, it was smart the way they did it. I, would I want every single Universal monster done like this? I would have to see the movie to figure out if, if it works for everything, but my opinion, I don't think it would work with everything. But it brings me to the interesting fact that we're going to get an, a Wolfman movie. With, uh, with Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The goose. That he apparently pitched. That's that's a good sign. He's, he's you know, I, I mean, I haven't seen any of his movies as a director. Because I know he's directed some movies. But I'd be totally behind him playing the, the, the Wolfman in a movie. Like, without a doubt. And he's actually... I mean, aside, outside of a few projects, Ryan Gosling is pretty good at picking projects... Yeah. So I, I it makes me very interested to see what their take is because the Wolfman might be my the wolf the original Wolfman might be my favorite of the Universal Monster films. It is really good. It, I agree. It's it is really good. It's interesting because we talk about some of the more psychological aspects of this stuff, like how he, how the Invisible Man sort of I don't want to say play games, but plays my almost mind games with Elizabeth Moss's character. Yeah. And the original Wolfman script 
it was supposed to be like a more psychological thing where he thought he was going to become a wolfman. You know, and it was all, like a lot of the stuff was like in his head. Oh, that's interesting. That would be that. I could see. I can definitely see that working with like what uh, with like a Gosling. Like, yeah, I could see that. Why not? And I was also thinking about modern iterations of these things. I was thinking to the uh, the the Dracula, the recent Dracula series. Which one? And the the last episode. Oh, oh, oh the sh- oh the show on Netflix. Oh, okay. That's that's the episode that that shifted people a little bit. Yeah. But I think a modern Dracula could work. I think it could. Uh, I will say I love that show, and the ending, yes, is a little bit off, but I still, I still love the show. I'm just throwing that out there. I, I would definitely be interested to see uh, a more modern take on a Dracula. I know that they've, they've done like a few like modern vampire movies and a few different modern Dracula takes, but none of them really, really work for me. Like the last one I think I saw was Blade Trinity. <laughs> Oddly enough, yeah, I know face palm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no thank you yeah i would definitely agree with that i remember like when they were when they were kicking up the whole dark universe thing one the one movie i was really excited to see was the bill condon directed bride of frankenstein with javier bardem now i don't think that's even gonna happen which kind of bums me out because that was the one thing i was actually really excited for with this with that whole dark universe thing i was like because bill condon i think would be a good choice for that and javier bardem get out of town so good can you remind people what bill condon won an academy award for writing that would make him so good i believe it's called um uh gods and monsters God of gods and Mo- gods and monsters yeah of, of gods and monsters which is a uh, biopic he did of james whale who is the director and also the director of the original invisible man and uh the the title is a line from bride of frankenstein yeah. With this double feature, I know when we were setting out to do this, we didn't want every double feature to be a remake, but we felt yeah. we felt with these two that they it was important to highlight that they have a similar concept or gimmick or character thing and then just show you how different you can make that singular concept. With two with two versions yeah. of the story that's called this, it's called the both movies are called the Invisible Man. That's why this episode is called the Invisible Men. Yeah, men. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What, that was weird. That was that was definitely a big kind of discussion point was whether or not we wanted to do like uh, original versus remake. And obviously, if you guys want to hear about that and make the suggestion, obviously these ones just felt so distinct for being the same property, for being about the same character, for being both universal monster movies it felt like enough of a distinction to talk about them both just especially just from an upgrade point because narratively there's a massive upgrade you know especially with the way the story is for the new one with the the time period we live in but also strangely enough there's a bit of a downgrade because like like i was like we were talking about earlier with the original invisible man it's this big like effects spectacle for people during that time they're like what what is this but then you go to the new one, and it's like there's yes, there's definitely special effects, but it's almost nothing. It's kind of it's it's just a weird like thing. To, it's like a weird fun thing to think about that there's this like downgrade like effects wise. It's kind of fun. I definitely definitely agree with that. With the Invisible Man movies, I definitely think this would be a fun double feature for somebody to watch if they were wanting to watch some you know some classic horror with a mix of some more modern uh, horror. 110%.
like we were saying, they're very they're different enough that it's going to be a whole new experience, and they're both short. And I think that'll do it. Thank you so much, folks, for listening to this week's episode of Two Dudes One Double Feature. You can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. We're trying to get on Google Podcasts. We will update you on our social media. Can I just say how cool it is that we're on iTunes? Like, how cool is that? It is pretty neat. Like, we just found that out today as well, that we're going to be on iTunes. So, definitely listen to us there. Listen to us Spotify, SoundCloud, hopefully one day Google as well. (laughs) That's all I got to (laughs) say. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. The sponsor for today's episode is none other then masks. Please wear them. I don't want to get sick. The music for today's episode was brought to us by the music maestro team that is John and Kenny Armstrong, two delectably delightful young lads. Also, a special shout-out to Andrew Gifford and Alex Ford for assisting us with the show, and of course to Andrew Gifford for helping us with the social media pages. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then, of course, a tease for next Friday's episode. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's a bat. Stay tuned.